Are you at your point where you think you've hit your bottom or maybe that there's just no way you're ever going to feel like things can change? I was like that. I really was. And I want you to know, my name is Bromo, by the way. I want you to know that there is a way out. Please join us for my podcasts. All right. Hey, it's Bromo here. This is my 18th podcast already. I started this just over about uh, two and a half weeks ago. This is called There Is A Way Out. I am an alcoholic. My sobriety date is 2-1709. I am not an expert. I don't have any uh, licensed uh, documents that say I am. I just have life experience. I told my story in the first 14 segments and episodes and <laughs> to all that had to relive my story again. I'm not going to keep apologizing, but that's that's how we do it. But my strength that I've always said is my guess. And today I have a young lady by the name of Carrie. Now, Carrie and I have never met in person, but Carrie and I suffer the same. We suffer alcoholism, and Carrie is a remarkable woman for what she's done with her life. Carrie, how are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm well, and you can hear me, and I can hear you. Your phone breaks yeah. up Your phone breaks up from time to time, but we're going to just uh, go with it. And uh, so for anybody okay. out there, just know that... Uh, She's got a good phone and everything, but uh, who knows about the area she's in. So she lives in Minot, Minot, North Dakota. For those of you in San Diego, Minot, North Dakota is about 100 miles from here. And it's an easy hour and a half drive. And I actually lived there for about about five years ago. I lived there. I lived there for about four or five years. And that's when I did my There Is A Way Out. Now, Carrie, you work mm-hmm. where? I work at the Sanctuary Sober Living Home for Women here in Minot, North Dakota. Unbelievable, which is awesome because your life story, you probably never thought you'd be headed that way, right? Nope. <laughs> what is your... I'm sur- just a small town res kid. <laughs> awesome. So you're from the res, right? You, where are you mm-hmm. from exactly? Where were you born? I was I was born in Fort Yates, North Dakota. I'm from the Standing Rock Reservation. You know that I had a gal a couple of episodes before you named Nicole, who is yeah, a... I grew up with her. Oh, did you really? Yeah. <laughs> So what an awesome lady she is. She works at Prairie Nights, mm. and uh, you probably yeah. you may have not heard that episode yet. Uh, she has a remarkable story. So you grew up out there. How old were you when you left the reservation? Um, I left the reservation in 2014, so what is that, eight, 10 years ago? Right. Yep. yep, 10 years ago I moved to Mandan, North Dakota to try and uh, – I think I thought I was going to get a handle on my alcoholism addiction, but it, it just got worse from that at that point. When So your your disease, uh, your choice is alcohol, correct? Yep. And when yes, did sir. you start realizing you were drinking more and more? We'll start oh, with that. In the moment, probably not until I was in my um, mid-30s when I started realizing like I did not drink like other people. I did not drink like my peers, and when everybody else was going home at 3.30 in the morning, I was just getting started, and I couldn't figure out why people wanted to go home. I was like, there's still a whole lot of night left. <laughs> so let's underline this part. You're not a normie, and for all of you who are wondering, what is a normie? A normie, again, I think I've talked about this. A, see if you agree with me, Carrie. A normie is somebody who can walk uh, into their kitchen and have about three beers still in the refrigerator and it's oh it's been there for about a week yeah you're a normie because yep, with, with yep. me it wouldn't have lasted two seconds right right i never really had any alcohol just hanging out the house, hanging around the house right it was pretty much empty bottles empty know? bottles so now it, for, in the reservation um 
Nicole, I think Nicole had told me this a little bit. You see a little bit of alcohol a lot, right, here and there? And people... Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's part of the lifestyle out there. Of course, the lifestyle anywhere, an alcoholic is yeah. is alcohol is drinking. So uh, you were drinking. Uh, when did you first start real uh, start drinking um, like a pattern in your life? Like a pattern? Um, somewhere around my senior year of high school, I had been placed in foster care, and um, I went out to a party one night, realized I really enjoyed it, kept doing it, got kicked out of the foster home I was in, just kept going, you know. I think I partied right up until I found out I was pregnant with my daughter at the age of 18. What was the part that you enjoyed? Tell me what you enjoyed about alcohol back then. Well, um, I was really shy and awkward, very shy and awkward as a kid. And I, yeah, I was very, I was sociable, but only around people that I knew. And I, one thing I knew was that when I drank, it's like that self-conscious feeling went away. Um, I felt like I could kind of take a full breath, like, like, like I am, I am here to have a good time kind of feeling just kind of would like would wash over me and that was it. And I just didn't worry about life. You know, it's crazy because I was, I was very young. I was 17 years old and it was like, I already had the weight of the world on my shoulders kind of feeling. Right. And when I, when I drank, that went away. When you're that young though, and you're, you know, drinking every other day or every day, you know, uh, however your pattern of drinking was it, it, it there's no way that that's a problem back then because you're so young and you think you know what this is my lifestyle and i don't have a problem i'm 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 having a good time is that right yep yep that sounds exactly like the words i used I'm just having a good time so you your drinking progressed as you got older mm-hmm. of course when did you start thinking to yourself well uh you know first of all did others notice a change in you did others ever come up to you and say hey carrie maybe you 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 might have a problem you should look into that well i think the first person to ever uh, approach me about the way that i was drinking was one of my best friends in high school and she was just concerned you know she was just like i i don't like how you get when you when you drink so much or when you drink uh, hard liquor and then uh, the other person was probably my mother because i would come home pass out and she would try, she would like have to like struggle to wake me up. And she would tell me repeatedly, like, you're going to, you're going to die of alcohol poisoning. You yeah. know, like, yeah. I remember her saying that a few times. How did you feel that you changed when you drank about your attitude and your personality? <laughs> I thought, truthfully, I thought it was the life of the party. I yeah. felt, uh, I felt smarter. I felt funnier, prettier. <laughs> did you ever get the mad whole- at people when they, would say to you, I think that you're borderline alcoholic. Did you ever get pissed and say, I am not, because that was my deal. I got mad when people brought it up to me, telling me they thought that I was on the verge of becoming an alcoholic. Did you ever deny that quite a bit? Oh, well, yeah. Nobody ever said, you know, well, we think you're an alcoholic. It was more along the lines of what do you do in your life? Yeah, you know? right. Like you're, you're throwing it all away and you had so much promise, so much potential, you know, and I... For 27 years, all of that promise and potential went goodbye. You know, what did it was you, like alcohol. Yeah, what did you want to be when you were growing up? Let's put it that a way. A nurse. A nurse. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't. I can't explain why, but when I, was, when I was a kid, I remember going in to see a doctor or something or whatever, and I remember the nurses were always so friendly, so nice and helpful, and seemed like they enjoyed what they were doing. Yeah. And um, as I got older, though, I, I kind of 
Well, I grew up in a home. Uh, my mother was super supportive. She uh, she did her best to to raise us in a good way. And our dad was like a, I guess he was kind of like an up and comer in the in the world of the Bureau of Indian Affairs. And um, he was very uh, very rigid and very uh, what's the word? Um, hmm, like. Uh, Leaving kind of like cor- corporal punishment kind of thing. Oh, so he was pretty um, rigid, right? He was pretty strict. Yes, very strict, and uh, he didn't really encourage dreams so much. Yeah, and um, I just remember thinking at one point that I was never going to be smart enough to be a nurse. You know, and it's crazy because sobriety's given me the gift of being able to go back to school, and that's what I'm pursuing today. Yeah, we're so. going to talk about that in a little bit. Okay, so 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 in your heat of the heat heat of not really the moment in your heat of the years or however long you drank. If you're like me, the good times kept rumbling on until you mm-hmm. slowly started to realize maybe I do have a problem. Yep. Um, it was like failed marriage, failed relationships. Uh, friendships were kind of not so much disappearing, but like they, people just did not want to spend much time with me anymore. And on top of that, my, I have three children. They, they, they moved in with their father's families, and I was pretty much alone. You know, pretty much alone at the end. Not because people didn't love me, but because I just pushed everybody away because they got in the way of my drinking. Well, let's talk about your marriage real quick, if you don't mind. You've been married once, you said. Yes. Did your husband leave you because of your drinking? Um. Honestly, he left me because when I drank, I became abusive. Okay. Yeah. Now, listen, if there's anything I ever ask you, you mm-hmm. simply say to me, I don't want to answer that <laughs> because <laughs> we're, we're going to be very honest with each other. And yeah. here's the thing, you know, I know that uh, you have never met me and I've never met you. Mm-hmm. I trust that you trust my audience who's listening to this. And, mm-hmm. and I want to point this out to you, Carrie, and I'm sure you've been told this many times because you've been sober now for a while. Um, yeah. Your story is going to mean a lot to others. And so if whatever you choose to tell me or tell anyone else, it's going to make an impact. So just to let you know that. So continue. Your husband thought that you were being yep. abusive and just couldn't be around you anymore, huh? Well, I would do this thing where I would kick him out. Not, didn't want him because he was the problem, right? Because he, he was, he, he and I struggled with the same thing, you know? Um, I, I wouldn't say he was an alcoholic. He was more of a drug addict. Um but we would get into these arguments and I'd kick him out and push him away and tell him I didn't love him. And then I would beg for him to come back. It was just ridiculous. The amount of emotional like damage that was done in that marriage, you know, not, you know, neither one of us were innocent, but it was just all around bad, you know? So when you said drug addict, you knew that he had a problem with drugs, right? He was an addict, right? Yeah, um, when we first met, neither one of us was very far into our uh, disease. Yeah. I guess you would say, right? Yeah, and as um, as we were married, as we, I think we were around the one year mark was when things started getting real crazy, and that's when alcohol kind of stopped working for me. So I started trying hard drugs, and I went down that road for a little bit. Yeah, um, but yeah, like it was uh, alcohol determined what who I was going to be with you know, what kind of relationships I was going to have. Yeah. Um, if, if the person interfered with the, with my drinking, it was time to say goodbye. And it, I don't know, it was just that marriage never really got got a fair chance, you know? Well, this may sound stupid, and I'm sure you're going to probably agree with 
with me sounding stupid, but sometimes when somebody is drinking and they're in their alcoholism, they think, what a perfect world it would be if I meet another alcoholic or an addict. We can we can live together with our drinking and using. You know what I'm saying? But it's not. Yeah. It is not. No. It's not. No, honestly, I think that when I went into that marriage, I had some really good intentions of trying to straighten my life out, you know, because I honestly thought that that was what was missing in my life was somebody to share it with. Yeah, and of course. It wasn't, it wasn't long before I started realizing that that wasn't even the thing anymore, and, you know, and now today I know better. You know, today I know that it was, it was something closer to uh, a connection with a higher power that I was missing rather than a man in my life, you know. So let me ask you this, if you don't mind, uh, and and I apologize. I do this a lot with the, the other people that I've talked to, too. I interrupt them, and uh, I, I always apologize. But listen, let me ask you this. Um, did you try, did you ever try to stay sober for a little bit, and that failed? Yep, yep. Um, quite a few times. Uh, in the beginning, before I realized that I wanted to quit, it was more like I was trying to appease other people. Yes. Um, I would go to church. I would start working out. I would stay away from that crowd kind of thing, but I always went back to it. And then uh, as things progressed and I started, I got evicted from my home, my my car, it broke down, couldn't afford to fix it kind of thing. So I was basically destitute. I started uh, seeking treatment from alcohol and drugs because I knew that my life was going down. And, um, but did you want to, did you really, really want to stay sober? Cause I know for me, I faked everybody out by saying I wanted to, and there's no way I did. No, it was more along the lines of, I didn't want to hurt my mom and my kids anymore. Yeah. You know, I didn't want to put them through hell anymore. And sorry, sorry for cousin. No, you're not. Um, And by the way, could you see yourself staying sober? Cause I know that I tried, but I couldn't see it. I, there was no vision in my head that said to me, no, you know, I'm going to be like sober for, one day. Uh. Uh-uh. Yeah. Like for 27 years, it was, it was my thing, you know? Um, I was the partier. I was the person that people called, you know, and they're trying to find illicit drugs and stuff like that. And yeah. it was, it was my, it was just, it was so ingrained in me at that point. That and I would have told you. That was your identity, yeah. correct? Yeah. And then when I was in 2016, um, I might be oversharing here a little bit, but I, I attempted suicide and failed, obviously. Oh, I <laughs> and um, Let me ask you yeah. real quick. What, Why? Why? Well, another one of those instances of I don't want to keep hurting others, and this this time around it was I don't want to keep hurting anymore. Yeah. You know, it's like I can't quit. Why? Why can't I quit? Why can't I stay stopped when I do quit? Now, you, you understand know? And, that part in the book where it says the insanity of the disease, right? Oh, yeah. Yep. And when I always remember the first time I was sitting in a 12-step meeting and hearing different passages in those books and thinking, like, oh, my God, how do they know? You know, yeah. how do they know? <laughs> so I have to ask crazy. you this because in one of my segments, one of my episodes, I talked about one of our members of our recovery home who got kicked out of our home. And then four mm-hmm. days later, he hung himself in a in, in, a, in, a, in a closet. Uh, this is a guy that we went to recovery home with. So I have to ask you this when you were contemplating suicide. Was that the mm-hmm. only option in your head? Yeah. I had um, I had never experienced a feeling of hopelessness before until that day. Yeah. And I, do, I don't re- remember doing it, but apparently I had uh, 
emailed my mom or texted her or something saying, tell my kids I'm sorry. Oh, wow. And she came and her and my uncle got me in the car and they took, he, she took me to the ER and I just, it was kind of like in and out of consciousness. I mean, I, what I had done was I swallowed a bunch of pills, yeah. you know, and everything, everything from aspirin to, to narcotic drug, to a narcotic pain pill, you know, uh-huh. and it, it, I wanted to be done, but I'm so, I'm so glad it didn't work. <laughs> Do you remember kind of roughly when that was? Like 20... It was in the, like, like, I want to say October 2016 around there. Yeah. Okay. Late October. Yeah. So was that your bottom, or did you have another one to reach? Because I know that when I thought I hit my bottom, I had one more. I Yeah, I thought I hit my bottom, and then, um, so I stayed sober for a little while, like days, not not like months or years or anything. It was like a month and a half, right. and then I relapsed, and I was back out there for like two two and a half years again. Wow. Or no, about a year, yeah, about two years, and then in 2017, I went into sober living, and... Um, I thought that was my bottom, you know, because I was on the streets of Bismarck during the winter time, yeah. and it was cold. Oh, and wait a being- minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now, listen, for you San Diegans out there, I'm from San Diego, Kerry, okay, and I have a lot of people, mm-hmm. which I'm fortunate of, and that's where I went through my recovery home and all of that in San Diego. I've mm-hmm. been out here 10 years. Say that again. You were on the streets here in Bismarck yep. during the winter? Yep, December Impossible. of 2017. <laughs> I don't know how you... I was. Oh. I, uh, I uh, basically depended on the kindness of others, oh. slept on couches, slept in uh, lobbyways, um, went up to... there was a, Somebody told me that if you went to the ICU at the hospital there, like before a certain time, they couldn't kick you out for the night. Yeah. So I started doing that until they told me I couldn't keep coming back there. And um, it was just one of these things where at that time, even though I could see it, like, man, my life is the shambles it it was it it just it just did not click in my mind that if i quit doing the alcohol and drugs i'll be okay i i things will get better well your life was spiraling downhill (laughs) you were also facing the weather of bismarck which is brutally cold of north dakota Mm -hmm. you were homeless or and you were still trying to drink through that right yeah yeah that's crazy it was it was my um it was my answer i thought i I think I thought that was my answer at that time. And right. then, yeah, yeah. So that's how life was at the end. And then um, I didn't, unfortunately, I wish I could say I stayed sober after I went to sober living in 2017, but I had one last uh, drink in me. And um, that happened in June of 2018. And um, I, I always remember that time because I, I came out of a blackout in Rapid City, South Dakota. Um, Right outside a gas station called Common Sense. Right. Oh, and I really? remember, is that right? Common Sense. <laughs> right. And I remember thinking very clearly, like, I don't have any of that. I don't have any of that. <laughs> and I remember I called my mom, and, you know, she, she was able to, her and uh, the guy that had, I had gone down there with who wasn't into drugs, um, he finally came back and picked me up and brought me back to North Dakota. And um, I re- always remember thinking to myself, like, whatever I'm going to do whatever they tell me to do if I can get back into sober living. Well, let me ask. And, let me um, stop you right here, and let me ask you a quick question. Because of your experience now, which we will touch on in just a few minutes, okay? Your experience mm-hmm. now. Do you believe, Carrie, in that, in that, in that well-said phrase, "relapse is part of the process"? Now, here's my line of thinking. Yes, relapse mm-hmm. is part of the process. It's also sometimes an excuse for someone to think to themselves, "Oh, I got another relapse in me." What do you think mm-hmm. about that? Well, 
<clears throat> I didn't really, well, I, I came up in a, like a culture of recovery where relapse wasn't something that people were like, in, like encouraging, I guess, not so much encouraging, but like it was, it was something we didn't have to do to stay sober. Right. right? Like, cause, cause we'd hear it in the meetings and stuff from time to time. And, um, the lady that, um, own the home that we lived in was very clear that, you know, as long as you do these steps, you're going to be okay. Well, yes. I stopped doing the steps and I stopped doing the things they taught me. Right. So it didn't take me long. I mean, it was within, within a week and I was back doing the same old thing. It was, and it was worse. It was so much worse. And, and I, as, as I you know, you probably tell your other women there, uh, mm-hmm. and we'll talk about that in a bit. As you tell other women, once you detach, in my opinion, once you detach yourself from AA and things like that, there's a there's an hourglass thing that's been turned over, and, and your time is really seriously, uh, mm-hmm. your time is almost up within whenever. I mean, it, uh, what's that expression? Um, it's going to happen before you know it or not. Like you said, you're going to relapse, yeah. and it's going to be worse. It always is. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty bad, and I'm just I'm grateful I made it back to North Dakota for one, and able to able to return into sober living because they 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 could have totally denied me because I did not leave in a good way. Oh, sure. And and uh they didn't. They they gave me another chance and and that led to everything that's going on in my life today. So and I'm so that was uh that's Hope Manor, right? Hope Manor Sober yes, Living sir. in Bismarck. This is 2018 of June. You got in there. How long is this program there? Well, um they recommend a minimum 9-month stay. Okay. And Truthfully, when I got when I first went there, I said I'll give these guys six months, and I ended up staying there for almost three years. <laughs> Good for you. Were you scared when you went in? Terrified. Um, I think I knew that this last time that holy. I mean, if I go back out, that's it, you know. And and I had a glimpse. I had a glimpse of what life could look like without alcohol and drugs in that short period of time from December 2017 until the relapse and. I just remember thinking very clearly, like, if these women can do this, maybe I can, too. Were you, you in know? denial and, at first when you went in? I mean, is it something you wanted, or was it something that everybody forced you into? What did you feel nobody, like? Nobody forced me into it. It was more along the lines of um, I was cold. I was I was exhausted. Um, but the last time I went in, I knew. I knew I, I, couldn't, I couldn't deny being an alcoholic anymore. Yeah, you know like, what? There was, you know what, Carrie? You had just had step one right at your face. We admitted we were powerless yep. over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. And 100% sounded to me like yep. you admitted it. you were powerless, correct? Yes, sir. Yes. That's, I, I, was, I, I remember this feeling of uh, like throwing my hands up, you know? Like, yeah. Okay, I surrender. Okay. Literally, I surrender. Yep. Yep. That's exactly the feeling. So you stayed there for three years. You saw a lot of things that mm-hmm. you probably could spend hours on talking about. Uh, you saw mm-hmm. people come in with the same bewildered, scary, panicky look on their face, like, where's my life going? You've seen yeah. some successful stories of people leaving the program. Uh, you've probably seen people like alumni come and speak. Mm-hmm. Isn't that yep. the greatest? When you remember, I remember when I was not accepting it yet, and I hated being at this place and i remember listening to alumni come and share they were they were bragging about how i got this brand new car and i got a job now and i got a wife to go home to and you guys are sitting out there i remember used to thinking f you quit quit bragging big deal why don't you get out of here and i remember i fought the whole thing 
whole thing until my friend hung himself in a closet. Yeah. And I said, no more. This is real. You know? Yep. Yep. It's, uh, I, I, I think I was there. Shoot. I can't even think. I think it was my first time there was when they started bringing alumni back to speak to us. And, um, the very first one was very, she, I would, I'll never forget her. Um, she was very, um, very, I guess, bold in her description of, of how life was at Silver Living. Yeah. And um, I just remember her saying, like, you guys have it easy. And I was pissed because I felt like it was hard. Yeah, right. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? In my head, I'm thinking. But I guess in the beginning, when Hope Banner first started, they had, you know, really, really strict, uh, like, uh, policies or guidelines, I guess you would say. And as time went on, they, they learned what worked best. You know, and uh, I was fortunate to come in when, you know, like there was this one thing called a house mouse where if you did, uh, if you if you got one of them, you had to clean the whole entire house. Well, by the time I got there, only it was just the main floor. So I'm very grateful for that. Right. Um, now, in in the house that you were at, how many other women were there? Um, when I was there at Hope Manor, there was uh, a room for 13 residents, uh, assistant manager and a manager. Did they take you to meetings, or did you guys have meetings right there? Um, no, we, it was our responsibility to get to and from the meetings, but the the way that Silver Living works is the women that have been in the house longer um, usually typically have vehicles or are able to walk with people to and from meetings. So, you know, and I got to have that experience, too, as a, as a resident, getting when I finally got my license back and I, I was able to get a, a car to get me to meetings and such. I was able to give the new gals rights, so... There's always somebody going to meeting at Silver Living, and Bismarck has such a um, like a thriving recovery community. Yeah, there's so many meetings there. So, well, this is my favorite question I'm going to ask you, Carrie, and I've asked everybody else, and I remember exactly. I I wish I could remember the exact date, but I can remember the time, the day. It was a Saturday. I remember mm-hmm. when I was told. It appears to me the obsession has been lifted on you. And I thought about that the second he said that to me. And I go, what do you mean by that? He goes, well, mm-hmm. in the half hour you've been talking about other things, you haven't mentioned wanting to drink or you haven't mentioned alcohol at all. And it appears to me that the obsession has been lifted on you. And I'm telling you how crystal clear that was. Yep. Yep. Um, I think I was probably, it was my second time, the, the last time in the house. And uh, the manager, her name was Ryan. She's uh, she's she's one of those women that just kind of set the tone for the home. Like, yeah, you know what I mean. Like there, she's got like uh, goals and such, and she kind of gives gives other people the inspiration to want to try and get out of their comfort zone, kind of thing. Right. And uh, I just remember one day she sat down with me, and she I could looked up, and she was looking at me, and she's like, "It's like a complete one eighty carry," and I was like, "What?" And she goes. It's just compared to last time and this time, it's it's like you're you're fully here and you're you're fully participating, and it just that's when it kind of clicked in my mind that things were changing. You know, well, I was gonna um, say you, as, you probably slowly started to see the looks on loved ones as they as they gained back their trust in you, right? Yes, yes. Um, uh, for one thing, my mom isn't worried that she's gonna get a call anymore. Yeah, you know she's. She's, uh, my mom's my best friend. And, um, I always remember when I was, I was, uh, took my first pass, it was around six months of, uh, sobriety. I went to her house and I stayed overnight. And I remember at two or three o'clock in the morning, she comes in and 
the door flies open and the light comes on and she grabs her chest and she says, I'm, she's like, oh my God, you're still here. And it was like she must have had a nightmare or something. Yeah. And I just remember at that point, it was, I mean, I wasn't on the fence about leaving sober living or if I wanted to stay sober. I knew I wanted to, but it was in that moment where I realized, like, I am never going to put her through that again. You what, know, What's it's, your mom's first name? Her name is Sandy. Well, way to go, Sandy. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> and I have to tell you this, and, and I wanted to ask you if it's the same way with you as it is with me. When I am sleeping and I'm mm-hmm. pretty pretty clear that even when I'm dreaming – I'm saying to myself, I'm talking about having a relapse dream where mm-hmm. I'm out and about and the, a full glass of vodka is presented to me and I look at it and I say to myself, do it well, here I, here I go again. Do I want to take that first sip? Because I know literally right after I do that, literally I'll start going even worse at my disease. And then I wake up and I say to myself, Thank God, first of all, that was a dream. And second, I'm so glad that my brain keeps me on alert by giving me those dreams. Yeah, in the beginning, I used to think those uh, using dreams were indicative of uh, of a relapse. I was told that, too. um, But it's not, is it, Carrie? It's not. No. it's a To me, it's like a warning. It's like a heads up of, hey, pay attention. Yeah. Yeah. There's some work you need to do, you know? So... Okay, so uh, yeah, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna read a little bit about this if, if, from what you sent me, if you don't mind, because it's pretty yeah. it's pretty cool. I've been working at the sanctuary sober living for women. Underline this, which is just beautiful. I've been working at the sanctuary sober living for women since December 2021. I moved to Minot after the former administrator passed away suddenly. I was terrified. I'd never lived that far from where I grew up, uh, which the Standing Rock Reservation was. And I'm a big believer that sober living works because I'm a product of it. Keep in mind, you stayed at uh, Hope Manor Sober Living in Bismarck, which changed your life around and saved your life. Look at you now. Tell everybody what you do now. What is your title? I am the administrator of the home. Um, basically, I make sure that this place stays running and stays open for the next suffering alcoholic addict. So uh, uh, a young lady, what, by the way, do you guys have an age limit there like 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 do they have to be a certain age well an adult 18 okay so let's <laughs> um, just say an adult comes in she's brand new off the streets she's tattered and torn but she has mm-hmm. that look of i want to survive how mm-hmm. powerful is that in your head that you look at that and go man i was there once it it happens so so often you know and yeah. <laughs> okay so I've been in the position, like, when I was at Hope Manor, I was assistant manager there, too. And I always remember the day I realized I was paying more attention to the women that were coming in than my own problems, you know? Right. And, well, not really problems, just my own issues. Right. And all I can say is that when a woman comes in and she's, it's going to sound bad, but, like, when she comes in and she's at that place, it's like, thank God she's, she's ready, you know? Right. Thank God she's ready for something different. And I always ask them, are you ready? Because it's going to get good, you know, <laughs> and it, it's just, it's a beautiful thing to watch when, okay, one, when they come in, right, when they get here and they're starting to get to know the other women, but then two, like, they, they start fully unpacking, because some of the women come in, they might have some things, but they keep it all packed up, because, you know, be, being that I was out there this long, I remember that feeling of thinking, I got to be ready to drop everything and go if I need to, you know, 
And um, when they fully unpack, it's like, you know, like, okay, they're getting settled in. They're part of the family now. And then when you watch them rebuild the relationships with their family members, that that just gets me every time, you know. Let's they come get back home to, and they let, tell about a good past. Let's sorry. get back to No, don't ever say sorry. I'm sorry for interrupting. <laughs> but let's get back to what you said when you said it's going to get good. Because I want people who are on the fence right now who are thinking, I can still drink, however... I may have a problem or someone's telling me to listen to this. When you say it's going to get good, let me know from you, what are the rewards of sobriety? Well, I think the most important, like the, the one that pops, that just jumps out at me right now is that um, in sobriety, I have a peace of mind, a quiet mind. You know, it's not constantly going as far as thinking of ways to find and, and get and, and drink and use and all that. But also, you know, it's just like a peaceful feeling, you know? So that's like an internal reward. Um, but outwardly, man, life just, like I said, I'm, I'm the administrator here. Um, and I mentioned earlier, I was able to, I'm going to talk about some material things, right? Um, I got my license back. I got a car. Um, I was able to get my own apartment after I left sober living before, or before I came here to be the administrator. Yeah. Um, while I've been here, I've been able to, um, through the help of the board, uh, secure some grants to be able to purchase the home from the previous owner. So the sanctuary owns its own home now. Um, and on a personal level, I'm going back to school uh, full time to be a nurse. I mean, just it's just crazy because it's like seven, eight years ago. There's no way I would have thought this would be my life. No, you know, there's no, just no way. <laughs> here I am. Oh, I, I can't even describe to you the feeling I get when I start thinking about it because it's so humbling. It's like... Yeah, good good, good word. And, you know, these are the rewards of sobriety, what you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. And it's okay yeah. to mention your personal goals. It's okay to mention the doors that have been open for you now because you're living in a brand new world now. I mean, every single yeah. day. And, and the most simplistic thing that people say is take it day by day. And I've said this in some of my episodes before. When I first started getting sober and when I relapsed, you know, I would have somebody tell me, you know, you can never drink again. I know. You can never, (laughs) ever, ever drink again. I know. And I was mad because I said I know because I I really wanted to defy that and drink. There's no way I wanted to become 100% surrendering. I want to read something that you wrote that I think is awesome. I had asked uh, Carrie to send me some bullet points on on things. I asked her, and it's my favorite question that I ask of anybody if I do a story here at work or whatever. I asked her what the most rewarding thing about her work is and she says it's pretty hard to narrow down which is understandable. She says but top of the list is watching a woman come into the house not knowing what to expect and fearful to watching their confidence grow and their willingness I I love that word willingness and I'll tell you why in a second their willingness to help the next new gal. It's a beautiful transformation that I get a front row seat to every day Willingness is one of the words we used at the first recovery home that I went to way out in the sticks in San Diego. You had to be willing, the willingness, the willingness to help out, to do this, to do that. It was a beautiful thing you said, Carrie. I think what Mm -hmm. you do for a living right now, if you think about what you had just said, the cycle you've gone through, you're helping people change their lives. You're saving Mm -hmm. their lives. Do you understand how powerful that is? I. I'm doing what I've been called to do, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I um, I feel in my heart like this is what I'm supposed to be. Like, the things that lined up in my life to put me here, I couldn't deny the fact that there is something greater working in my life, and that's why I'm here, you know? And um, 
I'm just grateful that I can see it that way. You know, there's there's times in my life where I had beautiful opportunities before things got bad, and I, I saw them as burdens rather than gifts, and today I see every day as a gift. And well, you are a gift. Because... You're a gift to the people. <laughs> you laugh at it, but I think you're being shy and humble. I'm just, I get nervous when I get compliments. I don't know why. I'm the same way, and I get, <laughs> and I get so few. <laughs> I get so few. <laughs> Especially if they look at me without wearing a hat and my goofy hair and my goofy radio disc jockey look. But listen, make sure you take these compliments because you deserve them. Uh, for what you do Thank for you. a living, I admire fully. I've got a friend that retired from this that I had on one of my last couple episodes. And I praised him so much because I admire anybody who can uh, be a part of someone else's life and go into it. And that's what you do for a living. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Of course. I appreciate you being on my podcast. I wanted to ask you a couple more things real quick. Mm -hmm. If somebody is out there and they've been told, hey, you should listen to this podcast. Why? Because uh, this goofy guy named Bromo has a little bit of experience and he has some great guests on because maybe I think you might have a problem. I don't have a problem. Even if you don't have a problem, will you just even will you give a couple of these episodes a listen and will you see if you can relate to what they have to say. Carrie, what do you have to say to somebody who might be on the fence, who drinks too much or uses, who's an addict, who thinks, I don't want to change my lifestyle, but if I do, and maybe I do, what do I do? Well, <clears throat> don't be afraid to ask for help, for one. Um, I, I had a huge ego, well, still do, <laughs> but I have this uh, this uh, urge to do things my way, right? I'm going to get better on my own, and... It wasn't until I started uh, reaching out for help that things really started changing. Yeah. And in the beginning, nobody told me, hey, you're an alcoholic. You need to do this. It was, if you want a way out, this is what we did. And that's, that's I, I honestly feel as though if it had been approached in any other way where somebody was telling me what was wrong with me rather than telling me how they got out from under, I never would have stayed, you know. So definitely uh, don't be afraid to ask for help and don't be afraid to admit when you're wrong you know yeah um i i had a hard time admitting when i was wrong i wouldn't let other people be right but i wasn't going to be wrong either you know (laughs) well you agree uh, you agree don't you there is a way out don't you absolutely there is there is and um i think if i'm not mistaken like in the beginning i had heard somebody say that if you're if you're iffy about recovery just stick around one more day yeah and then that's to me, that's that whole one day at a time thing, and and sticking it out one more day has never steered me wrong. Yeah, and listen, you know? we had a guy that used to tell us at the house, listen, don't beat yourself up anymore. You've done that yep. for the longest time. Don't beat yourself up. Yeah. I got one more thing. Go ahead. Because um, a lot of times you see addicts, alcoholics, they come in, and a lot of them, unfortunately, have endured some trauma, right? And um, a lot of them don't want to deal with it, but I always remember somebody saying to me, all those things that you went through, you survived. You never have to go through them again. And that was something that always just, it just rang true to me because I knew in my heart that if I did what I was being taught, that I'd never have to go through those things again. Yeah. You know? Yep. Yeah. Hey, will you do me a favor now? Mm-hmm. Well, when this podcast is done and I send it to you and it's all wrapped up, will you play it for your, your women in your program? Yes. Yes, I will. Will you play it for your boss and let them hear how wonderful you are? <laughs> I will. There you go, laughing it again because she's shy, but you are an awesome person, Carrie. 
thank you so much. Oh, thank I, you very much. I'm honored that you came on my podcast. I just reached out to her last night to ask if she would be on. Once again, we've never met, but we are brothers and sisters in this fight. Hang on, Carrie, real quick, okay? That's another story. That's another survival story right there. It's just wonderful what what people can do. Again, my name is Bromo. If there's any, any way maybe you think you're heading down that path or you have a friend or a family member, I'm telling you, I'd be honored if you listen to our podcasts. Again, thanks to Carrie. And again, my name is Bromo. There is a way out.